Today we're reading from Romans chapter 6 all the way through to the end of the chapter. If you have a large print Bible, that's on page 1714. Um, Sorry, I don't know the name, the the number for the normal eyed people here. Sorry. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has also been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time, at the time from those things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is in is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hi everyone, it's great to be with you. A uh, warm welcome if you're visiting for the first time uh, here with us. Um, even your regulars, hello to you as well. It's great to be here today. Let's pray. And we're going to spend our time today reflecting on that grace. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together today 
A week after remembering the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and we can consider what a wonderful gift of grace that is and how it impacts us. Help us to be transformed by grace. Amen. So what we're going to do today in thinking this through is we're going to spend um, our time reflecting on how Romans talks about grace. Uh, before Easter, if you weren't around, we'd, uh, we'd spend the term looking at the first four chapters of Romans and then Paul Harrington on Good Friday uh, uh, shared with us Romans 5 and it just got me thinking about how grace is through all the book. And so what I wanted to do today was just give some reflections on how all-pervasive grace is in Romans and how it should really uh, transform our life. In the booklet there is a blank outline, um, but on the other side is a whole bunch of verses that um, I'll be using to help us reflect on, uh, on things today. What we're not going to do, I'm not going to give you the perfect treatment of everything that Romans says about grace or go through passages like we normally do. Instead today, what we're going to do is just sit back and from the context that we've already looked at in Romans and what we understand, we're going to see um, six different reflections on grace and each one of them I'm going to ask a question of you that I want you not to yell out at me but in your own mind to ask of yourself and as you ask that of yourself um, maybe there's one, two or even all of them that you want to really take with you this week and reflect on further and so My goal today is that we not only say, yeah, okay, I understand what grace is, but we have a greater affection for it. Maybe you don't love God. Maybe you're not sure where your relationship with Jesus is. I'd love you today to consider for a few moments what God's grace actually is. So let's get on uh, and do that together now. And I want to start right at the beginning by saying, it should come up on the screen, grace brings salvation. Grace brings salvation. And so the question is, do you understand faith's relationship to grace? Let me show you what I mean. In um, the beginning of Romans chapter 1, which we talked about quite a few weeks ago now, we saw that the heart of the letter was God bringing salvation and that you live by faith. Have a look at verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I want to say today that faith is like grace, Grace's BFF. They're best friends. They go everywhere together. They are inseparable. See, God's plan, which we see time and time again when we open up the scriptures from 
all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through to the letters and all the way through into Revelation, we see God had a plan that he was making a people for himself that started with the Jews and he brings the Gentiles into this relationship through Jesus. That was his plan. That's why as salvation is brought, it's such a big deal to see that it's for the Jew and the Gentile. And it is God's power to save that brings them together. But what is it that brings two groups together? How do they come together? Well, it's only what Jesus has done, but how does it, how do they actually end up being as one family? It's how they respond to that grace. By faith. The righteous live by faith. This isn't a new New Testament idea. This is God's plan all along. The righteous will live by faith is ripped right out of the book of Habakkuk, a little prophet hidden away there in the Old Testament pointing to the Jews all the way through to the God's people into all eternity trust in what God does for them, not what they do in themselves. It's the righteous live by trusting in what Jesus has done, by trusting in the gospel of of salvation. You see, grace goes with trusting in what you've seen is given to you. So I want to ask the question of you, back up there on the screen, do you understand faith's relationship to grace in your life? You know, lots of people have misconceptions about faith or think it's a stupid idea or think that it's a nonsense and many, many people want to attack religion in general and Christianity even specifically that faith is just for the stupid, for the ignorant, for those who have no reason to believe. Sam Harris, a well-known atheist and uh, philosopher and the like, he said, it is time we admitted faith is nothing more than the licence religious people give one another to keep believing when reason fails. He's a very good way with words, Sam. The only problem is, grace is the reason, not the failure. If we understand that grace is not some idea that God's just going to give you something, but that Jesus stepped into history and went to the cross and died in our place, we have every reason to believe, to trust. If we have reason to think that that happened and that's true. And we do. There is evidence and so God's grace has a best friend, faith. We trust in what God has done. That's our first reflection. Do you understand faith's relationship to grace? Is it in your life in that way? But if you're trusting in God's grace, there's the centre of the grace, isn't it? What Jesus has done, and we spent that week, it was probably my favourite week in the whole Romans series, Romans 3, 21 to 26, 
And we saw that at the centre of grace, its foundation is Jesus on the cross in our state before him. Let's just have a little snippet at this one. Um, and I encourage you to go back uh, to that, uh, that, that talk online and, and that passage and reflect on it more and more and more because it's so helpful for us, these ideas. Romans 3, 22 to 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, the reason that we have something, what we're trusting in is the fact that Jesus pulls us out of our slavery. That's what redemption is. I did something that I haven't done for a long time. It was one of the first movies I ever watched. Not the first movie and the best movie because that was Star Wars, but I think the second movie that I was ever allowed to watch was The Ten Commandments and I saw it last weekend. It was on. Gee, it goes for a long time. With ads, it's five and a half hours, people. That is ridiculous. But that movie in all of its grandeur and it was an epic of its time and it's worth a watch and the first half of the movie's got like one little snippet of Bible narrative in it really because they fill it out. But the second half and just seeing the people are in slavery and how they're pulled out and that God does it and, he, and they go through this, the sea and it's God who rescues them is what is shadowing the cross. That Jesus' redemption is that he pulls us out of, what's verse 23 say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile, all of us who are to be one family become redeemed through Christ. That's always the plan. That is the heart of grace. Verse 24 does not say, and all are justified freely by his grace because they did these things. Or like what Peter said, they're justified freely by his grace because the rest of my life I'm going to do all these things to make up for it. Because that's not grace and it doesn't work. Grace is something you don't deserve that you do not contribute to. And to be justified freely is the God declare that you are right with him. He declares it without you contributing to it. The biggest difference between all other religions and the gospel of grace in the Bible is that, that we do not contribute to our right relationship with God now and into all eternity. Grace brings justification. God declaring you are right with him. Let me ask you to reflect on, has God alone declared you are right with him? That's what you can do today if it's never happened to you before. If you believe this to be true, you, you see that faith is just trusting in it, you do that, the answer to that question is Yes. Because you do not do anything. How spectacular is that news? That is why grace should overwhelm us. It is why it is extraordinary. It's why I tacked it onto our extraordinary Easter series because grace is extraordinary in what it achieves for us. We have fallen short of the glory of God because God does it for us. 
we have a relationship with him. Now, Sue's time with the kids and the, the little illustration that we had with Ethan and Colin it was good, wasn't it? Colin did something Ethan didn't deserve. What was wrong with that illustration? Anyone want to have a guess? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go there too much, Julie, but that's exactly right. Uh, yeah, that, that, that Colin wasn't the one offended and Colin actually isn't perfect. <laughs> yes, Colin, really. Uh, what why don't we ask Jenny? <laughs> I'll, I'll move on before I get myself into trouble because lots of things are going in my mind and I need to push them back. Now, um, but that's the point though, right? Let's take on board the point because it's an important one. Grace isn't just then someone doing something that's unjust. God is the one offended and Jesus came and when we read the Gospels, what kind of life did he live? A perfect life who did everything that his father wanted. He is sinless, perfect in thought, word, mind, deed, everything. He did nothing wrong. He's perfectly good and holy as his father and so he is like us, human like us, can take on our sin and yet he's perfect. And is the one who's been offended. So he is the only one who can take our place. Has God alone declared you are right with him? Absolutely, yes, should be our answer. And because of that, really, everything else is implications of that that we're just teasing out a little bit. You can see all of these, we could go on for ages and ages and talk about each one. There's so much to think about. But my third reflection from Romans, and I think this is a very big issue for Paul throughout all his letters, and in, in Romans, particularly in, in uh, chapters 5 to 8, but God brings assurance of salvation because of grace. Assurance of salvation is what grace brings. And so the question is, and this is a really important question, because many Christians who say they love Jesus and believe in Jesus would not say, absolutely, I have assurance. And so my question is for you today, do you have assurance if God has declared you right with him? There are so many passages to highlight this, and it's a big argument that goes through, but I really like... Uh, what uh, Peter brought up when we looked at Romans chapter 4 um, as well, when Paul's talking to Abraham about what faith looks like. And in, in Romans 4 verse 16, let's uh, uh, see that together first of all. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. See, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all. Grace, Paul is saying, means what it gives, salvation, is guaranteed. Why? If there is no grace you cannot be certain of your salvation. 
Why do you think that's the case? Answer that in your mind. If there is no grace, that is, that salvation is all God's doing, you cannot be certain of your salvation. Why? Because if something's left up to us, up to you, up to anyone else other than God, how do we know it's enough? Maybe, maybe not. We know it's not when we read the scriptures in the problem with our sin, but if something else is left up to us, we could never have any guarantee of our salvation. It just wouldn't be possible. But if the God of all the universe who always keeps his promises, who has done everything perfectly right, who has sent his son to die on the cross, who gave his life willingly, who said it is finished, went to the grave, rose again and says that he has given life and that we can live forever with him and the repentance of forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness of sins is given, if that has all been done, what is left for us to doubt? What is left for us to do other than to rest in the assurance that we have that God has done it all? The Father did not send his Son to leave us wondering. And Paul certainly did not want the Romans to be left wondering about their faith. He says in Romans 5, 1 to 2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. He says in verse 9, since we have now been justified his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? It's definitely going to happen. He's died, he's risen. What else is if he's not going to do the easy thing? He's done it. And so you get this great verse in, in In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. It's guaranteed. We can have, we should have, It's actually called on all Christians to have assurance of faith because it's the nature of our faith. It's not resting on our ability to trust. It's resting on Jesus to die and rise again. So let me ask you, do you have assurance? I want to suggest to you that if you don't, the issue might be that you haven't truly understood the depth and magnitude of grace. We don't want to have kind of both feet in um, each camps. Yeah, yeah, God has done everything for me, but I'm also going to do a little bit by myself. It's a little bit like where I'm at with my facial hair at the moment, you know. I didn't realise when I shaved my beard off what a controversy it was going to cause all amongst you, but everyone kept talking to me about it. Whoa, okay, that's an issue. But And then I've gone, oh, I'm going to keep it clean shaven now, but now I've kept it kind of in both camps and I'm kind of in the middle just because I'm lazy. I'm neither shaven or, or, uh, or bearded, really. We don't do that with grace. We're all into grace. 
we don't add a little bit of works as well. Salvation is not hoping we've done enough because we do nothing and nor is it hoping God's done enough because we have the cross and the resurrection. Do you have assurance? Then, our fourth reflection uh, is one that I think really helps us figure out, well, what do we do now that we have it? Grace changes how you live. So do you want to change because of the grace given to you? That was the reading that Naomi had read for us. It's the big argument among many that Romans chapter 6 is making for us. Let's have a look at just the first uh, few verses. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Is grace in your life an excuse or a motivator? If God's going to save me, that's great. I'll get away with it and I'll just say sorry. <laughs> I can have the best of both worlds. I don't have to do all these things. I know it's kind of not right, but there's grace. I, I can ask for forgiveness, so I'll do it anyway. Paul anticipated this kind of argument and kind of took it, ramped it up further by making it out as if it's a virtue. It makes grace look even better. So he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? It's okay. Grace will be there in the end. See the beginning of verse 2? It gets lost. That exclamation mark there doesn't give justice to what Paul's saying. He is saying, by no means, you fools. He's emphasising as much as he can that is such a stupid argument. You haven't understood what grace has done for you. You just haven't got it. By no means. He says it again in verse 15. He goes on to say, um, what then shall, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. He's emphasising it because what is the gift of the cross? What does it do for you? It means you're dead to that way of life. You're dead to sins. It's You're putting something to bed that you don't want to do anymore. As a kid, I used to play computer games all the time. And back then, you know, that was it started off with very simple computer games, the old Commodore 64. Anyone play computer games on the Commodore 64? Oh yeah, good times. And there's those games, I used to play all the time and the PlayStation came out. What a marvel of technology that was. That was like spectacular and now it's like, it's retro cool. It's just like old school, right? That was something I used to do, but actually I don't really play computer games anymore. I put that way of life to bed. I, I don't, I actually just don't. 
do other things and when I go to do it, if I do play games, it's just because my kids like and I'll do it with them. But I don't do it because I love it or want to get into it and go crazy for it. It's just not what I do anymore. I put that way of life to bed. It was something I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Because of grace, we're put to death our old way and liking the things that God doesn't. Verse 6 describes it in very helpful ways. For if we, if, I'll go from verse 5. If we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. It's crucified. It's done away with that old way because of what Jesus has done, the grace of the cross. We're no longer, he goes on this very big argument to say, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're dead to it. We're no longer caught up in doing what sin wants. Is the way of being in Christ. And so in verse 17, something that seems controversial to us because slavery has so many negative connotations, right? But in verse 17 he says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be, that, that's awful, that's evil, that's wicked. No, no, it's to say the idea of slavery without its negative connotations is, is what you can't help but want to do and be like. That's who you are, that's who you follow, that's who your, what does it say, allegiances are with. Righteousness, God's way. I'm a slave to that, that's what I want to be at least. Romans 6, and when we get back to Romans at a later time, we'll pull apart this passage and see how more significant it is and how much more we need to crucify sin in our life and, 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 and become slaves to righteousness. But the question that we ask today is an important question. Do you want to change because of the grace given to you? Yes, by every means, should be your reflection. Now the last two, the last two uh, to reflect upon today are really helping us see the way God is. What is he like? We saw it in the video a little bit, the love of God how great his love is. We need to spend some time reflecting upon how grace shows us his love. Grace shows us God's love. And so I want to ask you, do you believe God loves you? I'm talking to you whether you're a follower of Jesus and and maybe you don't, I'm, I'm asking you to consider it. Or I'm talking to you as a follower of Jesus saying, Do you believe God loves you? Truly? Romans uh, chapter 5 again highlights how much he loves us. I'll go from verse 8. I think I put verse 9 on your page. Let me read verse 8. It's even more important, I think. 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just sit on that for a moment. See, I think the key word there for us today is demonstrates. God demonstrates his love. His love is more than words. It's more than just some kind of emotional high. It is action. And it's action not when just someone else is loving him. It's the very opposite to that. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. He's loving us when we're doing the things that he does not want us to do. He's loving us, the holy God, when we are being unholy. And if that's not clear enough, we see in verse 10, while we were God's enemies. You can't get any more stark than that. God's demonstrating love, we're his enemies as humanity. Relationship of love at a great cost. It's what last weekend is all about us reflecting upon. The God of you has shown you how deeply he loves for you by his son on the cross. That is... An extraordinary act of loving grace, isn't it? This loving grace we see, we have little moments of grace in our lives all the time. We do things for others that they don't deserve. And Yesterday, Jen and I, we were doing all these sorts of things and, um, and we didn't really think about dinner and I had to go out and so um, we went to our old faithful and quickest and closest. I got some pizza and I come home, and the, and the kids come out, and I got the boxes, and and the kids saw the boxes, and they said, "Pizza." It was excitement, and then, but we don't deserve the pizza. And I said, "No, you don't. This is grace." And we walked inside. <laughs> now, there's this very small element, like the most minutia element of grace in that, in that they got something they don't deserve. But what's the difference? God's loving, self-sacrificial, his son went to the cross to pay for all of the wrath of our sin and my bitterness and just needing to get something, to get dinner, which is how they ended up with something they didn't deserve. Is there a difference? 
God's grace wasn't just, all right, you can have it then. It's, I'll do everything I can at a great cost to me because of how deeply I love you. His love is not something you need to just, just kind of wash over in a sense of, I just need to find the feeling of it. What we do is today and every day, we convict in our hearts and in our minds, in our whole self, what God has done, casting our eyes to Jesus, asking him to send his spirit to convict us of what he has done and our need for him, and we see his love. And it means that we won't ever say, God doesn't love me. At times when we don't feel loved. Because this happened where I'm feeling so bad or I've sought to do what pleases him and it's totally backfired and my life's in a ruin or, or my life's just in a ruin for whatever reason So, and, and I don't feel any love from him and where, where is all this going? There are times when we don't feel it. There are times when we don't experience it. There are times when it's not there but what God has done is not say just find that experience. He says God's demonstrated his love for us in this. Why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And when we come back to that, we see the love of God. And then God wants us to feel deep love for him. We should feel and experience his love immensely. We want to come back to that. But in times of heartache or in times when we don't feel that way, does that take away that he demonstrated his love? Should that mean that we start to say maybe he doesn't love me? No. Because he has saved us by his blood. So the question is, do you believe that God loves you? Maybe, maybe the question is, do I think there are things that can happen in my life that will start to make me think God doesn't love me? Because horrendous things happen in this world, don't they? Churches get blown up. People's lives are ruined. People are starving. Natural disasters happen all the time. Wars are everywhere. We could find many things to blame. The loss of loved ones. There are many things. But God has a bigger picture, an eternal perspective. And he's demonstrated that love that goes beyond the now. God does love you. Convict yourself of that because grace proves it to you. And so as we get to our last reflection today, it's really an extension of God's love. 
God shows us, because of his grace, he has our back. He does care for us. And so the question is, is God who you turn to in hard times? In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, um, that great uh, beginning of that mighty uh, statement of what God has done, he asks another question, Paul. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we get grace that he has done everything for us, it does not matter what happens to you in your life. If you lose every single bit of money that you have and you are destitute, in this big picture reality, it does not matter. Because who can be against you when he is for you? You see, grace tells us we can persevere through any hard times. But when the hard times come, if we don't have grace front and centre, if we don't see Jesus, if we don't see that he has done everything for us and that takes us to eternity, then we can forget and we can start to think that God doesn't have our back and that grace isn't going to help us get through. Or we can see verse 18 of chapter 8 and see, as Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. No matter how big the suffering seems, and sometimes it's so big and insurmountable almost, it is a speck compared to the glory of eternity. That is the reality that we live. Brothers and sisters, which of those reflections challenged you today? Which question do you need to take on board? Let's say all of them. But if you were to pick one, what would it be? Do you understand faith's relationship to grace? Has God alone declared you right with him? Do you have assurance? Do you want to change because of grace? Do you believe that God loves you? And is it God who you turn to in hard times? I thought we'd finish today by me reading this end of Romans 8 and then asking that last question uh, is God who you turn to in hard times and for us all to say Amen if that's what you believe as a response so let me read Romans 8 and then I'll finish with that question and with me we can say Amen together and then we'll remember that we're children of his grace as we stand and sing that song together What then shall we say in response to these things? If 
God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is God, brothers and sisters, who you turn to in hard times? Amen.